If you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, we'll be reading 16 through 20. However, I will warn you, today's sermon is going to be a little bit different. I need you to get your thumbs ready, either on your devices or in your Bibles, because as you see my sticky notes, we're going to be a little bit all over the place this morning. But... Uh, Just to give you a little bit of a review of where we've been and where we're going in this summer series, Uh, we are going through a series which has been a little bit uncomfortable for Nathan and I because we would prefer to preach through books. However, we've been preaching the gospel-shaped life, and we began by just a few weeks on an overview of the gospel and the joy of our salvation that we have in Christ, and then we moved on to what uh, relationships shaped by the gospel should look like, and we, we spent many weeks there. Well, now this week we're going to, we're going to turn and we're going to shift a little bit into talking about what it means for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ to pour out the gospel from our lives to others. This week we're going to talk about gospel-shaped missions and how the gospel is to go forth to the nations. Next week, we're going to talk about how the gospel needs to go forth in personal evangelism. We're going to have a guest preacher come in uh, to give that message for us. And then the week after that, Nathan is going to return and he's going to share with us how we as a church together corporately are to be sharing the gospel with our community. But first, We're going to talk today about gospel-shaped missions, how the gospel needs to go forth to the nations. Kevin DeYoung in his uh, children's Bible storybook says this, the biggest story is about a big God who wants everyone everywhere to know him. Now, Kevin DeYoung doesn't just pull that out of his own brain. He gets it from scripture. And in fact, in Malachi 1 Uh, Verse 11, we, we read this. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. God desires his name to be praised and honored by every nation, tribe, and tongue. And so we, as we read our text for this morning, we're going to see that the church has a role. We've been given a job to be a part of God's name being praised among the nations and that we are called to go out. But we're also going to look at the fact that this didn't just start in Matthew 28, but it began in the very beginning. But let's first look at Matthew 28 and in the mission that Jesus gives his church, beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. 
Oh, Father God, would you be in this place with us? We know that your Holy Spirit dwells in those who have, who have put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so, Father, I pray that you would use your Holy Spirit in me to proclaim your word. And, Father, I pray that you would use your Holy Spirit within us to help us to understand and apply your word to our lives. Father God, we pray that all these things would be done for the honor and glory of your name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, our main point for this morning is God has given the church the job of carrying out his mission, making his name known and worshiped among the nations. Excuse me, I was singing really loud earlier. Main point. God has given the church the job of carrying out his mission, making his name known and worshiped among the nations. And again, I said earlier, this doesn't just start right there in Matthew 28, but it starts in the beginning. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to just take a real big, broad look at all of scripture. And we're going to see how God's concern to see his name glorified in the nations begins not at Matthew 28, but right there in the Garden of Eden. And so our first point for today is going to be the mission Eden to the empty tomb. Our second point is going to be the mission, the great commission to the throne room. And finally, we're going to look at the mission and the local church's role in fulfilling it. But first, the mission Eden to the empty tomb. I told you guys you were going to be turning. If you got your Bibles or you got your devices, go to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, we see God creating the entire universe, and we see him creating our planet, and on our planet, he creates all different sorts of creatures, and each creature, he tells them to multiply and fill the earth, but when God creates man, he pauses, and he slows down, and things change. Beginning in chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Man is given a different role, a different creation mandate, and that we are created in God's image. We are created in God's image, and therefore we are created to have a special relationship with God. And so as God commands Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. One of the things that God is saying to them is be fruitful and fill the earth with more little image bearers who are going to worship me. And honestly, it would have been great if we could have just gone from straight here to Revelation 7 where we're going to go in a little bit. But there is a reason that it doesn't look like Revelation 7 now. There is a reason that worship doesn't go throughout all the earth now, and that is because of Genesis 3. And if you'll turn there, Genesis 3, we see 
the fall. We see sin brought into the world. The serpent deceives Eve and Adam, and so they rebel against God. They trust themselves rather than trusting God, and they introduce sin into the world. And unfortunately, that sin does not stay with them, but it is passed on from generation to generation until even now in 2022, every single one of us in this room and every person who is on this earth is a sinner and a rebel before God. And we do not have in our own ability, in our own selves, a relationship with God where we can rightly worship him and have a right relationship with him in our own strength. We are all born in sin And we see this breaking of the relationship after God curses the serpent, after he pronounces a curse on the woman and the man. In Genesis 3, 22, he illustrates this breaking of the relationship by saying this, then the Lord God said, behold, man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Humanity is no longer in Eden. We are no longer living in fellowship and in relationship with God of our own strength. We are sinners and we have been cast out. In that casting out, we have lost that relationship, but we didn't lose our ability to multiply and fill the earth. And Genesis doesn't take long to show us that humanity can still fill the earth, we can still multiply, but the problem is, is it's not full of worshipers of God, but it is full of rebels. If you turn over to Genesis chapter 6, Beginning in verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And he goes down and in his God's conversation with Noah, he says, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. This here is just an illustration for us that yes, the earth is full, but it is not full of worshipers. It is full of rebels. It is full of sinners who have abandoned God and exchanged the glory of God for the glory of created things and have worshiped ourselves rather than our creator. So the flood happens. Noah and his family are given the same creation mandate, but it doesn't take, or the same mandate to multiply and fill the earth, but it doesn't take them long to mess that up either. Genesis 10, we see at what is often called the table of nations, where we see that, that the family of Noah is growing and it's spreading throughout the whole earth. But then in, in chapter 11, we see very quickly that that group of nations. They don't plan to spread out. They want to stay together and they want to make a name for themselves instead of glorifying God. And so God confuses their languages. Genesis 11 verse 9 calls the place Babel where they tried to build a tower to make a name for themselves and he confuses their languages and they are dispersed over the face of the earth. So we hear right at the very beginning our prenat are presented with this problem in Scripture that God's name is to be praised in all the earth, 
But in all the earth, there is nothing but sinners and rebels. God's name is not praised. Man is not in a relationship with him. But then God whispers a promise in Genesis chapter 12. He whispers a promise to a man who was probably a pagan at the time that he was called. But a man named Abram is confronted by the Lord and hears this. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now that's just a whisper of the gospel right there in the very beginning and how the gospel is to be a blessing to the nations. And it's going to come through this man named Abram. Well, Abram's story continues. God changes his name to Abraham. And then he has a son named Isaac. And so right there we see Abram's fam- Abraham's family is growing and his offspring is here that had been promised And then something very strange happens, and I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to take a second to read this verses 1 through 18 in depth because we need to see here that there is a foreshadowing and there is a hint that in order for the earth to be filled with worshipers, with those who are in a right relationship with the Lord, in order for this blessing to come through Abraham's family, there's a hint and a shadow of the fact that it will come at a great cost. Look with me at Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkeys, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but... Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. 
For now that I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide as it is to this day. On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. There was going to be a great cost that is hinted at here in order for the nations to be blessed. Abraham did not have to sacrifice his own son, but God the Father did have to sacrifice his. And as we go throughout the Old Testament, we see this, these hints of a Messiah who would come and bring healing to his people. And in fact, in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but if you want to turn there, at the end of chapter 52, when we, uh, it's the, sometimes called the, the song of the servant, is a, a very clear prophecy about Jesus and how he would suffer. Beginning in 52, 13, it says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many as were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So he shall sprinkle many nations. The lamb who 53 goes on to say that he was that he suffered, that he had no form or majesty, that he died and poured out his soul to death. Folks, the solution for all of the nations of the earth, the solution for every single human being on this earth is Jesus Christ, the Messiah promised in Isaiah. Jesus who came, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on the cross to pay for our sins was buried and rose again. He is the one who can repair the relationship between God and man. It is only by him. There is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. And we're talking here about the nations, but can I remind each and every one of you in this room that there is not a single person on this earth that can be in a right relationship with God except through faith in Jesus Christ. If you think for some reason that your sin is not that big of a deal, or if you think for some reason that you're able to get yourself right enough in order to be in a right relationship with God, you are completely and totally mistaken. The scriptures declare it to us. Even our greatest deeds, even the best things that we ever do are like filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God. Each and every person on this planet, each and every person in this room 
are sinners and rebels, and we deserve to be eternally separated from God because of our sin in hell. But God did send Jesus. And he sent Jesus not just for you and me, but for all the nations. Turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, the whole chapter, Jesus is talking to his disciples about how he is the good shepherd. But if you look down in verse 14, even as he is speaking to his disciples who are all Jews, he says this to them, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock one shepherd. Jesus came and died not only for Jews, but for all the nations, for those who he would bring in, the sheep not of the fold of Judea and Jerusalem, but the sheep of the fold of all nations. But it came at a cost. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus pours out his blood, not on the wood of an altar, but on the wood of a cross. And he poured it out. He died, paying the penalty for our sin. He was buried and rose again on the third day. And in his resurrection, we begin to see his commission to believers in him who would go forth from that day. And that's where we get Matthew 28, 19. After Jesus has risen from the grave, the mission goes from the great commission to the throne room. Jesus commands his disciples, go therefore and baptize. Go therefore to all the nations and baptize. And then in later in Acts, he gives something uh, similar. It's recorded, Luke records for us that he tells his disciples not just to go to all the nations and baptize, but he, he tells them what's going to happen. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And the whole history of the church that we find in Acts goes from Jerusalem where the, the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and many are saved on that day in Jerusalem to Acts chapter eight where after Stephen is martyred, the churches begin to be persecuted and they go out and we see Samaritans begin to be saved. And then in Acts chapter 10, we see Cornelius, a Roman centurion, not a Jew, not a Samaritan, a Gentile saved and all of his family saved. The gospel is going forth. And then we see Paul, who is redeemed on the road to Damascus. And then later in Acts, beginning in 13, he's sent out to all of the Middle East, to all of Asia Minor, even to Rome, the capital of the known world at the time, to proclaim the good news of the gospel to those who have never 
heard it. But even as Acts ends, in Acts chapter 28, you can turn there if you want, even as it ends where Paul has made it to Rome, even as it ends and it says in 28 verse 30, excuse me, verse Uh, beginning in verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And we may think he's done it. He's gotten to the capital of the known world. At that point, Acts ends, and we must think, oh, yes, it's done now, but obviously it's not done, and, and even Paul knows it's not done. In Romans 15, he talks to uh, the church in Rome that he's there at the, at the end of Acts, but he tells them <clears throat> in Romans 15, 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once, <clears throat> once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Even Paul, as Acts ends in Acts 28, we see in Romans that his desire is to continue. The job is not done. The job is not finished. He's desiring to go to Spain. Excuse me. And we we see even in the history of the early church that we're given in Scripture that the job is not done and the gospel is still needs to go forth. But the Bible does fast forward. In fact, it fast forwards past even us to show us the end goal of the mission of the church to see God's name glorified among all peoples and nations. Revelation chapter seven, beginning in verse nine, John sees this vision. After this, I looked And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. John gets a vision of when the mission of the church is complete and when God does have a world that is full of his image bearers who are worshiping from every corner, from every tribe, from every language, from every nation. God will accomplish his purposes. God will be praised. His name will be praised in every nation under heaven. Where does that leave us? We are somewhere between the end of Acts and Revelation 7. Where are we to take place or where are we to take part in this mission that God has given to the church? I think we see a really good example of what we are to do in Acts chapter 13. This is the last place I'm going to ask you to go to. Acts chapter 13. 
verses one through three. We're going to hear a little story about the, a local church in Antioch. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And you may be thinking, where in the world is our job there? Well, it's, it's interesting. As we look at this church in Antioch, as they are about to send Paul and Barnabas out on their missionary journey, we see that there are two ways that this local church is involved in missions. There are those who send, and there are those who go. There are those who send, and there are those who go. While they were worshiping, while the church in Antioch is worshiping God, the Holy Spirit comes and says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. The whole church is involved. There's not any one of us in this local church or any one of us in any other local church who are exempt from this, from either one of these two roles in missions. We are either sending missionaries to the nations to proclaim the name of Jesus, or we are going ourselves. Now let's think about sending first. And I'm gonna, I want to encourage you first about sending. I want to encourage us as a church, but then I also want to challenge us. Here's the encouraging thing. One of the good things about being a part of a cooperating group of Baptists that we are is every dollar that we give, every dollar that we give in offering goes to Every, there's a piece of every dollar that we give goes to a cooperative program that goes to help fund our Southern Baptist International Mission Board and the North American Mission Board. And those two entities are all about helping churches equip and send missionaries out into the field, into the nations. I want to encourage you even more. Every year we take up a Lottie Moon Christmas offering and an Annie Armstrong Easter offering while only a portion of the dollars that we send to the cooperative program in our general giving goes to the IMB and the NAM, the North American Mission Board, every single penny that you give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes directly to international missions who are out in the world, out in the field, bringing the gospel to the nations. And every penny that you give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering goes directly to North American missionaries who are proclaiming the gospel from Central America all the way to the tip of Canada. And so let me encourage you just by being a part of this church and just in your generosity as a church, you are a part of sending. But now let me challenge you. Let me challenge you because just giving of our resources is not quite what we're talking about here in Acts 13. No, it says that they were worshiping together. They were fasting and they were praying. And so I encourage you, I encourage us to take this seriously and I encourage us to take what Jesus said seriously in Matthew chapter nine when he said the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus there is not talking about crops. 
He's talking about going to the nations. He's talking about going and sharing the good news of the gospel with those who have never heard it. And so Fox Hill Road Baptist Church, church family who I love, we must, we must be intentional about praying, not only for those who are already out in the field. We need to do that too. And if you need a list of names, they're out there on a bulletin board. If you want names of people who are maybe in a different part of the world, we can find them for you. You should be praying for those people. But church, we need to be praying. And this is a hard prayer. But we need to be praying that God would raise up missionaries from within our body. That's a dangerous prayer because that means someday one of us, all of us are going to have to say goodbye to a loved one. That's a dangerous prayer because for some of us that may mean that we send a family member, a child, a mom and dad. It may mean we send a best friend away onto the mission field, but it is worth it proclaiming the name of Jesus where it has never been proclaimed before. And even though it may be difficult, what does Jesus tell us? Everyone who has left houses, brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold. We sang about it. Through the ages gone before, through the trial and the storm, many saints and martyrs conquered, though they died. It is hard to pray for these things, but we must pray that God would raise up from within us those who would be called to go to the nations. Well, the last part, there were a couple from Antioch that went. Paul and Barnabas left their home in Antioch and they went to the ends of the earth to proclaim Christ where he had not been named. And so church, as we pray for God to raise up among us someone, maybe many someones who would go to the nations, we need to realize that maybe you or maybe me. And we need to be asking, Lord, are you calling me? Are you calling us to leave family, our homes, in order to go on this great and amazing journey of fulfilling the mission of the church to go and bring the gospel to the nations. God is powerful enough. He didn't have to use us as a church. He could have just written in the sky the gospel message of Jesus, but he gives his mission to the church, to each and every one of us, to make his name known and worshiped among the nations. And so my question for you and for me are any of us willing to go? Are any of us willing to pray and ask God if he is sending us? And my prayer is that we will answer like Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter six. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Let's pray together.